Speaking of getting booked, this podcast is about one thing, getting booked to speak more. Whether you are an established speaker or a newbie, we want to see your career take off. Hundreds of speakers are hired every single day, and you are next. Let's jump in with your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. Your host, Matt Browning. We are here for another interview Friday. Man, it's been a good week and the week is getting better because what we have coming up right now is uh, someone I met very recently at a conference, but impressed the heck out of me and I wanted to get to know him more. That's why I brought him on the show uh, and I wanted to meet him along with you guys meeting him too. So who I have on right now is Trevor Perry. And Trevor Perry is a motivational speaker. He has been all over the world, lived all over the world. He grew up in the outback of Australia mate all the way down in the bush area of Australia. Now, if you know my story, you know, I, I worked out in Australia doing seminars for, for years. So I can't wait to get some of his stories about that. Um, he's moved back and forth. He moved to Chicago to do work. He's moved back to Melbourne. He's been working internationally. Uh, he has done some really cool things as well. Speaking, he's a full-time motivational speaker uh, now out of an IT, uh, an IT background that he did a lot of great things in there. But now what the thing I'm really excited about is his speaking career. And I want to break down some of what he's done to be successful. He's the perspective catalyst, uh, a paid motivational speaker. He has coaching programs. He has a great book called Never Iron When You Were Naked. We're going to talk about that. What a cool name. He's been the Dean of Speaker Academy for the New York City chapter of the National Speaker Association. And he also helps to build the back ends of presentations for million dollar speakers. So he's the guy behind the scenes. And now he's coming out even more in front of the scenes. Uh, Trevor Perry, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Matt. I'm doing really great. And I'm glad you said mate made me feel comfortable. Ah, come on, mate. (laughs) That was pretty good. (laughs) I did did spend years out there. Uh, I, I started picking it up for a while, but now it's gotten worse and worse on the accent. So how old were you when you left Australia and came out for the first time? So the first time I was 27. So hence your accent's never going to go away. Well, it, it's, it's interesting that balance, you know, Olivia Newton-John hasn't lost it and she came out of it roughly the same time, but it, it's a real weird thing. I cannot, like, I always say, I can't say can't and uh, I won't say tomato. <laughs> tomato, uh, avocado. How do you yeah. say, uh, how do you yeah. say that spice that starts with an O that's kind of an herb uh, spice? Yeah. Oregano. Oregon, the guys that's that's oregano just so uh if you're you know we do have some australian followers we got some uk uh but about 95 percent is american so we're talking about oregano the point is we have trevor perry who's a motivational speaker who's come out from australia uh and has made it out in the u.s tell me what was the the major reason why you came out from australia what was the work you were doing and how did you find success in that uh emigrating into a new country so I, I, I'd always had a fascination with the world and traveling and America seemed to be the one place that kept popping up. Most of my friends have a European heritage and wanted to go to Europe, but I wanted to go to uh, America and had pen pals when I was from 11 and uh, came out to America for a gig, which was about four months of work. It was actually unknown at the time, but I did four months of work in Chicago and it was in IT and I was essentially just a programmer impressed the guys well enough that when I went back home to Australia, they offered me a job and got me a work permit. And I came back about a year and a half later. It's been quite a journey. For me, Chicago was a big version of Melbourne where I was living at the time. 
So it's very, I, very know, I, I can see that too, because yeah. the d- downtown Chicago feels a lot like CBD in Melbourne, the central business district. Yep. I could totally see that. Yep. So I just, I got back to Australia and I watched Crocodile Dundee and was homesick for Chicago. So long story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, and I just wanted to come back and, and I eventually did and got a job and moved into, you know, IT in Chicago and then ended up marrying a Texan, which put me in Texas for a while. And uh, it's been a bit of a journey. And now I've been in New York about 12 years. So um, I'm, I'm living on Long Island, not far from Manhattan. I get to be the boy from the bush who wanders around looking like a fool up at the buildings, you know, going so well. You're, you're really kind of Crocodile Dundee part two. Except that we didn't have crocodiles. Maybe goannas, <laughs> but no crocodiles. So Wait, you had no crocodiles? No, the area I grew up in was more Mad Max territory, which was more desert. Um, and we lived on the river where there was a lot of irrigation and it was nice, but it wasn't anywhere near crocodile country at all. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You're just, you know, once I start spending time out there and we'll, and we'll get into the rest of this here, but I just think it's funny, you know, how many, uh, euphemisms we have in America about Australia that aren't even close to true. You know, they never throw a shrimp on the Barbie. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And it's, it's difficult to explain. And so I just sort of go with the flow in America. One lady said to me, oh, my daughter's gone over there. And I said, where? She said, New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that one of your suburbs? (laughs) Yep. And then people people who think Tasmania is in Europe because it sounds like Transylvania. Oh, or I wonder what's the other one? Um, The the African country, uh, Tanzania. I saw a map the other day uh, that actually had Tasmania labeled as Tanzania. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Hey, we, we, we have had a, a quite a few seminar students from all over Australia and Kiwis as well from New Zealand. We love them both. Very different people, but a uh, big shout out to all our Aussie, 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 Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. I just want to shout out to them. All right, let's get into speaking, shall we? Yep. So when, at one point, so you're doing IT. Did you think you were going to do IT for the rest of your life? Was this like, hey, this is what I'm made to do? Or is this, hey, this is what got me to America and I have a different dream? Where did you land on in this IT world? Were you happy with it or was it a stepping stone? It was my it was a passion. I started in accounting and when I got to college discovered computing and and it became my passion and because I was you know able to see big pictures and do translation I became quite successful at training people so I did more speaking and you know went to conferences and that's when I discovered that my playing the fool all my life paid off. Um, and so I started doing the speaking and, you know, you know, the, everybody has a story and, and mine was that I had a, uh, a, a divorce. It was the world's worst cause it was mine. Um, took sure. sort of a couple of years off and did some improv and, uh, started performing street theater and came back from that back to the IT world with the motivational story. And it was immediately successful and changed my life because in the telling of it, I had to be genuine, had to be, had to feel it when I told it. And, uh, you know, I'd found, put, put me on a stage and I can tell a story and I was motivating people and people were coming up and telling me the, that I changed their lives. And I wasn't sure how to respond to that because I felt just like I was the person there when they needed to hear that story. So that became my own personal 
thing, my what was going to change the world. And so I've been pursuing that both inside IT and now outside. How quickly did you know that you wanted to do that part of it full time? Or were you thinking, hey, this is great. I can do this IT thing I'm good at, but I get to show up as a speaker and as a teacher and I get to motivate people. Did you feel like you were going to be content in that? Or did you always, once you came back with the improv and everything, did you know that you wanted to get out from out of the IT content and change the content around? Um, I, you know, the IT part, because it's also a, it's one of my passions. It's just something I really thoroughly enjoy, never gave me a reason to leave. And because I was able to go and do my motivational speaking inside of that and be MC and opening keynote and closing keynote, motivate people and change people, I was getting away for free without having to commit to being a full-time speaker. But I realized over the last, uh, probably the last five years, I've realized that my passion is not IT and not the whole shades of IT that I'm involved in from you know C-level down to coding. It's really being able to do interpretation and translation and whether it's an IT story or whether it's a life story uh, I have that skill that I can tell that story that has an impact and so it, when people's lives are changed they're not often changed by the code that I wrote <laughs> but they're more often changed by or impacted somehow by what I've spoken in a motivational session so that's become more of a burning desire for me. When did you come up with the idea of the calling yourself the perspective catalyst. Um, I'm, I'm assuming this is about being a catalyst, being the initiator of changing a perspective of life or oneself. Can you can I dive deeper a little bit on what it means to be the perspective catalyst? And then how did you come up with the idea? So I, I've always been telling people about adjusting and looking at the world in different ways. And so adjusting your perspective without trying to tell them you have a bad one without any guilt just saying we need to evolve our perspective. And oftentimes we live in a, a narrow world and seeing the world in different ways and through different eyes gives us a different perspective and it changes our life. And I've known this for a long time and I've been talking about it for a long time. It's about 25 years with the session I've been doing uh, for which my book is The Handout. And I've been talking about perspective. And in the last uh, year or so, I've been working on how do I go and make that happen? And people keep coming and saying, you changed my life and I was a catalyst for them. That became the easy part then to put those things together. You talk with me, you experience one of my sessions and I'm a catalyst for something. You may hate me <laughs> because I touched one of your insecurities inadvertently, not that I knew, or you may absolutely feel like you're empowered to go do something and change the way you've, you've lived your life and live a more richer, extraordinary life. So there's a catalyst in me there. But for most people, I always start my sessions with, look, we cross paths with people all the time. And sometimes we walk with them for a while. Sometimes they impact us. If today's your day, then I'm, you know, I'm going to be a catalyst for a change in your perspective. If not, you'll have a really good time and we'll have a few laughs. Beautiful. So you, so is this usually through coaching experiences or is this sort of something like a theme you begin to see in your personal, professional and, and speaking life? So when I started uh, doing improv and doing street theater, I discovered that I could entertain and people, you know, one challenge at one of the places I was at, I ended up doing 
an hour of entertaining and ended up being about 28 people in a field and I never repeated one single thing. So I was able to be creative and build and build and build. And I learned that I had these skills to be able to do this and people would come back for more. People were mocking me, mimicking me, following me. And in my speaking, then I took all the skills I learned from street theater and I became a better speaker and I was able to tell the stories differently. And people would come back and tell me about what they've learned or they'd want to show me their scar from where they ironed inappropriately. (laughs) Um, and, And I discovered that people, more and more people were telling me their stories. So I've been working with people individually for a very, very long time. And I've only recently formalized that into a coaching program but I encourage and work with people individually one-on-one and they all come back and say, you know, you've had an impact on my life. You've had a profound impact when ultimately it's been themselves who've done it. And I've found that as a guide, I want to do that more and more and more. So the speaking part of it is the easy part because there's a lot less responsibility. You can stand on a stage, you can talk, you can entertain People love you, hate you, be ambivalent. You walk away and while there might be some follow-up, you don't have to go and say to each individual person, what did you do today? With the coaching, I get to see them go through that, finding what it is that they want to do, working out how they get from where they are to where they're headed and uh, you know, checking in with them and seeing that growth. And it's been very rewarding for me to do that. So I've formalized that now into a coaching program. Tell me where the idea came up for uh, never iron when you were naked. That's a, I talked about in the intro, your book, (laughs) when when you first said that I met you, you said never iron when you're naked is my book and everybody in the room busted out laughing. What a phenomenal title. The subtitle is all the advice your mother should have given you, but didn't. And I think, you know, like never ironing when you're naked. I'm sure there's a handful of things we probably shouldn't do naked. Frying bacon, I know, is up there for me. Um, where, where did the idea come for that? Was it you just started getting into this is the life lesson advice started coming up in your coaching sessions? Or again, is this more of a theme for your life and, and your, your motivational speaking? Where does an idea like this come from? And when did you decide that it was going to be a book? So the, the creative part of my brain, uh, when I first lived in Chicago, my landlord said, Trevor, you, you can't be a programmer because you're also creative and you have a personality. Um, and so the creative part of my brain is always there and it's very active, often hyperactive. And I get a lot of ideas from things. And, and my story about ironing naked is my mum taught me really well. And then one day somebody came up and just sort of said, well, you know, but have you ever done it naked? And so that started to become advice that I put into my speaking sessions. And I ended up with a ton of those little things. And at the time I called them, um, you know, basically these are, this is the advice my mother should have given me. She should have told me that when I would go to be six foot tall, the iron would reach about right in the middle of me and (laughs) might cause some interesting pain. So I would tell these stories and each little one was an anecdote that was really interesting for life. And uh, being that I was speaking to primarily technical audiences and branching out occasionally, they wanted a handout. And I said, finally, I succumbed. And I said, well, I'll I'll write the book version of it. And that has become the handout for my session. And it's, it's fascinating. It's just full of things that it's advice that to me, what it is, is it's a matter of as you grow, you don't 
necessarily become wise, but you gain wisdom. And this is wisdom of some form. The, the most common response to my book is, is, I already knew this. This is just the best reminder I've ever had. And, you know, that became sort of the, the way then I, everything I'd written in the book, I speak about at one time or another. And, you know, I just keep gathering more and more and more. It's, now I have to write a sequel to it. <laughs> but it just became the stories that I could tell and the way I could tell them, those little anecdotes became very easy for people to digest. And they could take one or two of them and do something. You know, I talk about drawing and learning to draw and taking a drawing class. And for some people, that's just what they needed as a reminder. And it was a little catalyst for them to go try something. So it sort of all came together. And it was really mostly about my speaking and telling stories and being the interpreter rather than the coaching. The coaching has now come because people said, I want to change my life. I want to know what my passion is. And I've been doing that for sessions as well. You know, I, I found this. I found the same thing, and we'll talk about that just in a, in a second here. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Trevor Perry. He's a motivational speaker with a huge IT background. Came over from Australia to the U.S. and has grown into a phenomenal motivational speaker over the last several years. Uh, has a book called Never Iron When You're When You're Naked. Uh, you can find that at NeverIronWhenYou'reNaked.com, or you can of course search Amazon. Also, if you want to follow Trevor, his Twitter handle is URXO. U-R-X-O. And, and Trevor, what does that stand for? It stands for you are extraordinary. So you are extraordinary. You are extraordinary. Pretty cool. A four-letter Twitter handle, U-R-X-O. Uh, so really cool. So I'd like to shift into some of the speaking career and what you've done in this and how you got into this. So first off, uh, you live in New York City now. You say or you live in Long Island. Uh, yep. And you've been, you were the dean or are currently the Dean of Speaker Academy for the New York City chapter of the NSA, the National Speaker Association. That's kind of a big deal. How did that so, come about? So the New York City chapter is a really fascinating, amazing place of the National Speaker Association, some really incredible people. And I got engaged because I never really found my speaking tribe. And that is, National Speaker Association is definitely that. And I'd found my tribe, met many people, um, and a, a shout out to the Australian voice of Siri, Karen Jacobson was the president of the chapter and asked me if I would like to help because she knew I'd done some teaching of speaking and speakers. And so I volunteered and I ran the academy for the year. And then the last couple of years, I also was involved in what it's, uh, it's, it's morphed into a speaker university is a little more online. I enjoyed the in-person part of that. And so I was teaching speakers again, and it was really, I just loved that. I, there's lots of parts to that. There's the part of it that's the business side of it. There's also the part of it that's the speaking side of it. Uh, you know, I've had a session for years called Overcoming Your Fear of Speaking, and it's simple, basic things that I forget about because I'm comfortable on a stage, but other people have walls. And again, just interpreting and telling stories in that regard meant that I understand the speaking, uh, the speaking itself. I understand the action of it. Uh, I'm still learning the speaking business. I've got a very good overview in it. I'm in, in it and I'm trying to make the best of it right now by doing all the right things. And I've learned one very simple thing about the speaking business and you can't do it on your own. So I'm enlisting help and I've got a, a, a coach 
and a branding coach, and it's really helping take me to the next level. How, how, so how, when did you do your first speaking again? How, how many years are we talking about? I don't think we covered just kind of the big picture of it. So uh, it, I have been training since I was in college, and my uh, professor was the mayor of the local town, and I would take over his classes. <laughs> so um, ever since then, I've been teaching technology for a very long time. My motivational has really started about 25 years ago. So I've been doing it for quite a long time. So you, you've been at this. And, you know, so let me ask you this. Uh, as a speaker, so I, I've been professionally, officially speaking since 2006, so for 12 years. Okay. And when I started a lot, I always started very, I tried to start small, I suppose, right? Because there was no other way to start. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I spoke anywhere and everywhere I could and, and local meetups and all that kind of stuff. And I teach a lot now. Uh, for our speakers and coaches out there, of course, the best way to get started is, you know, don't go out and try to make some big brand and make some huge platform and online marketing. Get out and do grassroots and go do as many speaking gigs as you can all over the place, locally especially. Yep. Partially to get the practice, but partially because you're going to figure out your message and get a little clearer on it before you try to make some, you know, uh, evergreen content like a, an e-course or something. Um, at what point did you think to yourself, you know what? And, and did you have this experience? Because um, I, I did, and I wonder how many other speakers did. At what point did you say to yourself, Trevor, like, what am I doing? I've been at this. I've done this. I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing, but I'm playing small. It's time to play big. It's time to get out there at a much larger level. Did you have that conversation with yourself? Or was it more kind of, kind of one step at a time, and you've just been constantly at the grind? So it, it was probably literally a couple of years ago when I said that I need to do this as a full-time thing. And there was two sides to that. One is I preach and teach finding your passion. And I knew what my passion was. That wasn't the problem. It was what are the walls that I have? And I've been teaching people how to get through those walls. And I just said, you know, I, I have to do this. I'm teaching this. So I have to do this myself. And I actually was kicked, I think it was literally about three and a half years ago. I uh, enrolled in a magic class for a, a world-class mentalist. And, uh, he wait, 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 wait. So you got, you're doing improv classes. You're doing magic classes. You're doing speaking stuff. Yep. I just want to take a minute and just honor <laughs> how cool you are. Thank you. <laughs> for every, every 12-year-old boy out there who thinks he's never going to have a date, he's never going to be cool, I promise you, if Trevor Perry <laughs> went to magic class, you can succeed too. You can. I had magic stuff when I was a kid. I, I'm a yo-yo. I'm not, not a champion, but I, I, I can yo-yo. But it's, there's something about that, right? There's this breed of person who you're like, I want to explore more. And I just think that's so cool. Um, so tell me about the magic show or tell me about the, the magic classes. Well, so I've done magic because I've been trying to find things to change how I speak and represent things. And in magic can often represent things. I always want to be able to, I use crayons. I want to be able to lift a crayon and, you know, levitate it from over there to my hand so I can write it and not tell anybody I did that. Um, I talk about change management and I actually did uh, changed a five euro bill into a $1 million American bill. And so I did magic, but it didn't quite suit me. But boy, did I have fun learning it. And the depths of what I got out of it was incredible. So trying all of those new things helped 
make me a deeper experienced speaker, but also finding where my um, skills lay and what I can use as a tool to move forward. And so any little thing like that, I learned the piano and the organ when I was younger, but if all I was going to learn was for hymns, I didn't do it. So had I known about um, Elton John, I might've done it more. So what have I got in my house now? A keyboard. And I'm trying to teach myself how to play keyboard again. I'm, you, you need to understand for yourself, what are all those skills that you have and how they can manifest themselves. And in the meantime, you'll enjoy yourself learning all of those things. It's, um, it's a very difficult thing, but uh, to find what those are, be, but if you're open, and this is about perspective, see what's available to you. And there's so many things in the world we live on. You can go into YouTube and find out how to do magic. I don't encourage you to do that if you want to enjoy your magic. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I enjoy magic more knowing how skill, the skill it takes to, to do that. Um, but the, this particular class was about mentalism, which is, for me, so fascinating because it's your brain. And it turned out that I, the, the magician said to me, well, I can't do the class, but I'll have coffee with you. I had two hours of coffee with him about, talking about motivational speaking. What an amazing story. And uh, he said, Trevor, what's your story? I said, you are extraordinary. He told me, he said, you can't preach that or teach that unless you are. And it was that about three and a half years ago that kicked me in the behind swiftly that said, go try everything you can to be extraordinary. And I am working to do that and learn from every experience I have, both good and bad, failures as well. Um, and you're going to have more failures than successes in this world, but the successes evolve and grow and get bigger and better all the time. And to me, that's my challenge is to be sure that I'm living an extraordinary life so that I can then preach that you should live an extraordinary life. And that was the most amazing piece of advice I ever got. Live an extraordinary life if you're going to preach and teach that you should live an extraordinary life. Right now, I don't think there's ever been a more, more needed message you know, out in the world because we have so much access, I feel like, especially as, as speakers, as entrepreneurs, as, as public figures, whatever you want to call people with, with reach you know, and access. And I think there's a lot of people that want to skip the, the work want to yep. skip the grind. And it's not that they're, they're trying to be lazy. I, I, I talk about this a lot. You know, you watch someone who like follows, say a Gary Vaynerchuk, let's say, and he's got 4 million followers and he's doing all this cool stuff. But the guy is documenting an extraordinary life where he makes hundreds of millions of dollars in several different businesses being a hustling, grinding entrepreneur. And he's documenting that and, and sharing lessons. What, what a lot of people want these days is they want to share the lessons and, and impact people, but there isn't a lesson to share because they haven't done the thing that caused the lesson in the first place. Perfect. You've done a lot that, has caught, that have caused lessons. And of course, that's where, where your book came out. Um, what, 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 what kind of uh, speaking, let me ask you this then. I want to shift back over to speaking a little bit. What's some advice you'd have? I have a lot of people in our tribe that speak on platform speaking, which, you know, if people aren't familiar with it, platform speaking is when you're speaking to sell or speaking to a free gift to, you know, bring people into a business funnel of some kind where you teach and coach things in the future. Whereas keynote speaking is going to be generally more paid speaking. Do you have any advice on getting into the world of keynote speaking more? What does it take? 
Um, you know, if I just said on the surface, Hey, do you want to get paid to speak? Most of my students are like, yeah, of course I want that. And you get paid to speak. So do you have any tips, any tricks, any starting points and things to look at? So the first part is absolutely what you said earlier, which is just go speak and do every opportunity you can. There's lots of stories in the speaking industry about not speaking for free. But the answer is, is that if you, I was always told if you want to be a writer, write, and it applies. If you want to be a speaker, speak, find those ways to do that. There are a lot of ways to speak for become a trainer and belong to a training organization or group and work for them contract employee, however, because that gives you experience in standing on the stage. There's a lot of pay to play. If you want to go to speak somewhere, you can find somebody where you pay to speak, but you get to sell that product at the end of it. Sure. The issue of that is you've got to have product. And that is the real key thing is you have to go out and speak a lot to find out what your product is. And for me, it was also finding out what I'm skilled at doing, find out what my product is. And my product actually ends up being that I will help you understand that you are extraordinary and you can live an extraordinary life. And there are ways to do it that are so much more simple than all the complex ways that they, I always make a joke. I say, if it's, a, if it's called self-help, why are you reading someone else's book? <laughs> and it's ultimately, you've got to find those little tidbits that, you know, Vaynerchuk or, you know, Tony Robbins has a little piece of advice for you that will resonate for you and find how that fits you and suits you and go out and do that. You've got to do the speaking. You've got to end up finding the products if you want to do the pay for play or you want to do platform speaking. For keynotes, you have to have a few other skills because I've seen keynotes, I've attended a lot of IT conferences and I've seen keynotes that go flat because the bits that are missing is the package. You've got to be able to stand up and speak like you are truly genuine and you believe what it is you're saying. And a lot of people will tell a story and, and just sort of repeat the story. It's got to be your own story. You have to be entertaining. All right. So let me just first start with that. So stories, yep. um, certainly in speaking, I agree with you, stories are key, but that's interesting. So sometimes I'll share, you know, I'll share a little story or a metaphor or something, but the best stories you're saying are always your own story, which means you have to have your own experience that is where your story came from to make your points, correct? And for most people, if they don't have one right away, they might tell somebody else's story, but you have to represent it as someone else's story and then tell how you feel about it or talk around and why you brought it up. What's the lesson you learned from it? I've often done presentations where I've been critiqued and people said, you told us a lot of stuff, but you didn't tell us how you did it. The your stories, one of the things I've noticed in the last two or three years in the speaking community is the word genuine and authentic has been overused. But it's really important to be that without bragging about it. Yeah. So just like, so if someone said, hey, what's the strategy? How do I be? A, it's like, you don't, there's nothing you have to do. There's no speaker yep. hack. You just show up and you're you. Yep. I like to say, you know, when, when you go, you, you got to be the same on stage and off stage. The only difference can be on stage. You could be you, but turned up a little bit, so, <laughs> um, but it's got to be you turned up. It can't be a different yes. you, you know, it's, it's you. Every time you're on stage, you're in a costume and the costume is to represent you. 
but that's not, you know, how you ate your breakfast that morning. It's not about how you drove there. It's about the you and the way you feel in the inner parts of you. You're only showing a small part of yourself and people get enamored of that sometimes, but that you has to be true, whatever it is. It has to be real, has to be you. You can't talk about, you know, a story your brother did and make it up. Now you can do that in comedy, but once you want to be a keynote, those stories have to be yours. So that's a major, major aspect. So just guys, write this down, pay attention to it, listen to it. If you want to be a paid keynote, you must have your own stories. How many stories roughly would you say if I say, hey, I want to start really putting myself out as a keynote. I want to, you know, make the website. I want to go after the meeting planners. I want to really be there. How many stories do you feel like you need to have in your back pocket that are are, uh, exemplary stories, you know, stories that exemplify something that you're teaching? I mean, if you had two or three of them, is that a good place to start? Or should you have 20 different stories you could pull for different topics? Do you have a suggestion on that? Um, it, it varies. You know, I've told a story that's 20 minutes long, but the longer the story is, the better the ending had, should be. It's the same as a joke. Um, if you have a lot of smaller stories, what's easy about that is you can rehearse and practice each one and get it down exactly right. And then when you come to speak, you can either have a pre-planned song list or depending on the audience or what changes, you can draw on those other ones. So having a stable of stories, the, the best storytellers that I've seen in the industry literally have 50 to 60 of these things at their disposal because they've been doing them forever. For starting out, you've got to know where you're speaking. If you're doing a TED Talk, it's 18 minutes. You're going to get two or three stories in there at best. And those if are gonna, short snippets. Yep. yep. And if you're going to do 45 minutes, you better have two or three really good ones or maybe four or five. But it's like anything else. You want to make sure that if you do a keynote session and you have 100 things you want to tell people, don't do 100 things. Give them two, three, or four because that's what really works well and excite them about those two, three, or four things. And if you have two, three, or four things and you have a couple of stories for each, you also have to be reasonably flexible in that you may tell a story, it may react, the audience is going to react and respond, and you'll go with that too. So don't get off track. Make sure you have the right stories to match what you're telling. All of those things mean that, and, and, and remember this too, in the whole story of a session, go follow either read Nancy Duarte's book or even YouTube Kurt Vonnegut telling about the, you know, the story itself and the curve of a story. A story has to build and then it'll let you down a little and then it'll end on a high. And that core, that curve of a story has to be a key part of when you're doing a keynote because if you tell the worst story you have at the end, um, you know, it's not going to work. Building any show, I've done occasional shows where we had four or five speakers. You start with a, a strong one, you go to a weaker one, a better, 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 build up let them down, have a breather, and then end on a really big high. That curve of a story also has to be part of what you're doing. And the little stories you add in there have to support that curve of that story as well. So whether you, and whether you realize it or not, every speaking opportunity is a performance. And what you're describing is, it's really across everywhere. It's, it's how musicians lay out a concert, right? Yep. Um, how they lay out their song list. 
It's yep. how uh, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Everyone who listens to me knows that I'm a big, ever since I was a kid, WWE. And if you go like, they're very smart. These promoters, how they lay out matches. Yep. They, they, they have the big, the curtain jerker, they have the opener and then where they go. And it's like, well, we have this big marquee match and you can't put another marquee match after the people are exhausted. Yep. So they have a big one. They have the letdown kind of, you know, take your break one, re, re, you know, rehashing and get ready and get reset. And then it comes back up and ends on the main event. So if you could think of your, your speaking time, and if you're doing a longer event, like if you're doing a one-day or a three-day workshop, and what I'm hearing from you, Trevor, is if you're producing a workshop or you're producing an event, um, lay out your stuff and or your speakers in that same kind of, what's the story arc? What's the emotional roller coaster? What's the emotional trend that people are going on? Yep. Uh, and then put your stories in that same order. That's phenomenal. Thank you for that. Really good advice. Um, if you had, I know we're coming to the twilight right now. The time goes so fast and I've been enjoying this thoroughly. If you had, I guess, a final piece of advice for a budding speaker, someone who wants to speak more, uh, what would you say, go out and do this or think this way? What would you tell them? So number one is always to speak. That That is absolutely regardless of what, do it. I had one of my students from the academy do a session. She walked into a lobby of a building in, in New York and just did it there to a bunch of strangers. You know, just do it. You've got to get up on stage. You've got to get that practice. But ultimately, seek help. You are going to need advice. Yes, there are people who tell you a whole bunch of stuff and you can read their books. But there is a whole community of speakers. And, you know, I know, Matt, if you said, if somebody came to you and said, please help me, you would spend time and give them advice. This is not something that is hard to do, is to talk to your fellow speakers. And they are so open to this. Even though it seems to be a competitive environment, I bet I can speak on the same stage as you. And nobody's going to say, I'll only have Matt or I'll only have Trevor next year. They'll all go, hey, I need them both. It's not a competitive environment ultimately, even though it sort of feels like it on the outside. Speakers are the, your best friends. They're your tribe. You'll find the people who will, who will work with you the way you need, but seek help. And, and if I could add to that, even though I asked for your advice, but um, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with this, being you know, with, with your background as the Dean of Speaker Academy for the National Speaker Association, I would certainly say this is something I didn't do until long into my speaking career, join um, associations and membership groups. You know, go be a part of the National Speakers Association. Pay your dues, it's annual membership, a few hundred dollars. Go be a part of it and go to the chapter meetings, go to the conferences. What I found, especially if you want to be a paid speaker, I found, you know, when I went in the platform world, sometimes it feels like everybody's a speaker, everybody's a coach. And the reason it feels like that is because you're going to a seminar with 200 people who are all speakers. Yep. <laughs> but when you, if you leave that place and you walk into your local Starbucks and you say, raise your hand if you're a motivational speaker, no one but you. Yep. So when you go to like the NSA or, or a similar type of association or a membership group, you definitely find, I, I found in the paid speaker world, it's a lot more collaborative um, in general. You, there's a lot of collaboration and platform, but it was a lot more collaborative a lot more support, a lot more, oh, hey, let me introduce you. We should have you come in, you know, um, really have people helping each other up because they realize there's not a lot of speakers in the world. In the grand scheme of things, most people are not speakers. 
Correct. Correct. So there's plenty of room. There's plenty of playground and plenty of balls on the playground to play with. We can all play our game. Trevor, one more time, I'll mention, uh, well, you know, let, let's, let's do this. Let me ask my final question if I can. If you could change anything in your life, you've been through so much, what would you change or would you do it all the same? Um, I would have bundied the first time instead of wait until the next day. You, you would have bundied? Bungeed. Bungeed. Oh, bun? <laughs> but, but I, I thought you were, I thought you were going to say something about a budgie smoker. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> No, and, and that's, that's something I can't explain either. So, <laughs> no, so you would have bungeed the first day, not waited. Not the second. I walked out and I had fear and I left and I faced it and went back the next day and I did it. Uh, so I th- I'm learning to face every one of my fears in one form or another. And um, I would do that much more often. It, it's something I'm still coming to grips with, but I'm getting so much better at it, but I would, I would do that more often. I have no regrets about any of my life. All the mistakes I've made have made me who I am and uh, I'm going to try and make more. Well, hey, you know, that's, that's sage advice, Trevor. So he wants to make more mistakes because mistakes have made him who he is. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on. I sure appreciate it. Uh, Trevor Perry, you can find everyone again. You can find him at trevorperryspeaker.com. We'll have that in the show notes. So check it out. The link will be right there. You can follow Trevor Perry on Twitter uh, at the handle is U-R-X-O, U-R-X-O. And you can get his book. You should definitely grab his book, Never Iron When You Are Naked. You can get the book at neverironwhenyouarenaked.com or you can find it on Amazon. All the advice your mother should have given you but didn't. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor Perry, the per, uh, perspective catalyst, motivational speaker, phenomenal time together. Guys, remember, uh, get out there and hustle. Get out there and do something this weekend. Make it big. Make it strong. Hit the grind. It's a beautiful grind. Uh, and be successful. I will come back at you on Tuesday. Again, it's Matt Browning. Thanks for listening on the show. Uh, make sure that you follow and you subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes. If you haven't already, pop over to iTunes and do that. So whether you're on the radio, whether you're watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or anywhere else, you can find me. Looking forward to more follows. Looking forward to more of everything we're going to be doing together. Talk to you next week.